so good to see you this morning. Uh, can you all hear me? You hear me all right? Good, good, good. Hey, glad you're with us. If you're new here, uh, we're so glad that you've taken time out of your day, out of your busy weekend. Apparently there's some like race, I don't know, I'm not familiar with like NASCAR, but I, I hear there's a race today. So thank you for taking time to be here with us. Uh, my name's Brad, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've just started a new series last week called The Good and Beautiful God. In fact, I get it. I've, I've been there. We have assumptions about God. We have thoughts and myths and things that, things that we think are true about God that really aren't really that true at all. And so last week, we looked at this main idea. We looked at the life of Jesus, which is kind of what we do here. But even if you don't believe in Jesus, which is totally okay, glad that you're here, uh, there was a truth in the story that he gave us. In fact, we found that followers were following Jesus, and he turns around and he asks them this question. What do you want you remember this what do you want and, and we kind of phrase it this way what are you seeking and we said this that if you want to have change in life see some of us want to change but we don't know why we can't change and the reason why we can't change is we haven't defined the starting point by defining what we're seeking in order to make a huge change in our life we have to define exactly what we're seeking and life and so we talked about these outside influencers you see some of us think that we can't change because we don't have the will power remember this right we said will doesn't actually have power you only have the capacity to choose and there are things like your mind and your body in the social context that influence you these are outside outside influencers that change who you are and so we said this that we have to replace false narratives with the narratives of Jesus that's where we work on the mind our body, we have these uh, uh, soul training exercises that we talked about last week, and I'll get into more of that later, but that's how we work on our body. And lastly, you have influences outside that you need to change in order to become a better person. And one of those things is getting engaged in a community. And so we are starting our second week, uh, really excited about this morning, and I think it will address a lot of concerns that many of us have about God this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this time. We give thanks for this opportunity to discover um, this beautiful narrative of redemption. And so I pray that you would be in this time of teaching. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my mom tells me this story like it was yesterday. And I remember it like it was yesterday. But I only remember it because I think she told it in a way that I would remember it. Does that make sense? Okay, you're with me. So she tells me that when I was about a year and a half, two years old, um, she sent me outside to play. And so I went outside to play, and my sister was upstairs taking a nap at the time. And she was just a little baby, little infant. She was taking a nap. And my mom says that she heard loud screaming coming from upstairs. Loud screeching screaming coming from my sister upstairs. And she said, well, that's odd. Like, she's supposed to be taking a nap. So she went upstairs and she walked around the corner and to her disbelief and dismay, I was standing there in my sister's room with a bucket and a shovel. And my mom was like, why is he in here? This doesn't make sense with a bucket and a shovel. And then she wondered why my sister was screaming. And as she looked at my sister, she noticed there was something different about her. And it turns out that why my mom was doing Lord knows what, great parenting mom, by the way, if you're listening, I'm sorry, totally kidding. Um... <laughs> But some, at some point, I snuck upstairs with my bucket and my shovel, and I dumped an entire bucket of mud and dirt on my sister's head while she was sleeping. So my mom came up, and there is my sister covered in dirt and mud all over her face, all over her crib, and I'm just smiling with a bucket and a shovel like I've done something absolutely amazing. Now, 
One of the questions that I never asked my mom that I've always wanted to ask my mom was, what was my punishment? Like, how do you punish a two-year-old? Maybe I was under two. I don't know. I get the math mixed up, pregnancies and all that stuff, somewhere around two. But at the end of the day, uh, what was my punishment? Do you punish a two-year-old for putting dirt on their sister's head, or do you just let it go? Or is this a teaching moment? And so I've always wondered, what was my punishment? Because I don't remember that at all. And... Um, I kind of think this is how we view life, right? There's an output. If we have an output, then we should receive something in return. There's always a punishment or reward. If we do X, if we do X, then we will get Y. You've all had this in life, right? Right. We think that if we work hard enough, if we just work hard enough in life, we will be successful and we'll have money. We think that if we study hard enough as a student, that we will just get good grades. We think that if we work on our health, we won't have to worry about our health later on in life. Many of you, have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We think that if we do X, then we will get Y. And I think you believe this to be true about other people. See, you look at other people's lives, and you think the reason why they are important... Do I need to switch mics? Okay, I'm going to switch mics. Cheers. We good? <laughs> All right. So, back to my point, whatever my point was. Um, my point is this. We look at other people's lives, and we think, we think that they have done something where they are. That the reason why they are important and powerful and successful is because they are important people, and they've done important things. But let me just tell you this. I know that's not true because we have the NFL. You get what I'm throwing down, right? Listen, it doesn't take a genius it doesn't take an act of like, it doesn't change the world just because you can throw a piece of leather down the field. Now, I love football. I played football. Enjoyed it. Sorry if you're football fans, but I'm sorry. Um, NFL football players, while they're fun to watch and they make a lot of money, uh, really not that life-changing in the grand scheme of things. Football, sports, not so much, right? But yet we think they're powerful and successful because they've done something important. Or maybe you've been on Facebook, I mean Facebook. Sorry, that was a slip up there. Uh, you've been on Facebook, and you've looked at a picture of, of, of the perfect family. And you think, gosh, the only reason why they would put that picture of their perfect family online is because their marriage is great, they know how to parent their kids, and they just be, must be amazing people. All around, they are brilliant and awesome. It doesn't exist, right? But on Facebook, that's how we perceive it. right? They have done X, and they have received Y. Or they have done this... And they receive this, or I call it the I'll do, I'll get model. That if I just do this, then I'll get this in return. You know what I'm talking about. I think it is no different when it comes to our relationship and our understanding of how God works in the world. You see, we operate in a world and out of our relationships with people, including our understanding of God, by this model. That if I'll do this, I'll get this. If I do X, then I'll get Y. In fact... You've done this, right? If I help so-and-so, then God will help me do this. Or if I give this amount of money, then God will give it to me tenfold. By the way, if a pastor ever tells you that if you give $10 and he will give tenfold, that you'll get 100 back, that may happen by chance, but they're straight lying to you. Like, I just, you know, whatever. I believe that if you give, you'll be given to in some way, but not in the ways that we often think. But we think if we give, we'll be given to. Or that if we pray, that somehow we'll be given priority over people that don't. We think this is how our relationship works with God. 
And what we get in this narrative is a blessing and punishing God. Right? We get a blessing and punishing God from this mindset and this false narrative that if we, if we do good things, then God will be good to us. But if we do bad things, then God will ban us to the eternal flames of hell forever. And here's a, here's a dirty little secret. Okay, I'm going to let you in on something. We actually like, we actually like this blessing punishing God. Do you know why you like the blessing and punishing God? Do you know why I like the blessing and punishing God? Is because I can control God. That if I just do this, then I'll get this. But here's the big question. What happens when there is no X factor? What happens when you don't do anything and Y happens to you? And all of a sudden you're trying to figure out why is the Y even there? I don't get it. I didn't do X and all of a sudden Y shows up. Why is Y even there? It's a great question. I remember when I was about five years old, my sister who had Down syndrome, uh, she had an undetected heart disease and she was about eight months old, she passed away. Did my parents do anything in life for my sister to pass away? I don't think so. Did I at the age of five, other than dumping dirt on my sister's head, deserve to lose my sister at the age of eight months old? No, I don't think so. And see, here's what happens. When we lose control, when we lose control of our lives, when we lose control of the questions and all of the circumstances that happen, all of a sudden we blame God and say it's his fault. That God is cruel, he is angry, he is mean, he is capricious, he is selfish, and he doesn't even care. He is totally unreliable. Some of you felt like that before. And here's what's interesting. Our experiences of disappointment with God say more about our expectations in us than it actually does about God. Our experiences of disappointment with God actually say more about our, expecta our expectations in us than it actually does about God. And here's why I know that to be true. See, I'm about to give you, I'm about to give you a question that I think is going to change the way you see the world. Not only the way you see the world, but the way that you see God. Because many of us view God as this angry, untrustworthy, unreliable, punishing, judging kind of God. Here's the question. This will change you, I promise. Is your understanding of God, is your understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus revealed? That is a huge question this morning. If your understand, is your understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus reveals? And here's why that is so important. Because there are so many times in our life where we don't do X and all of a sudden Y shows up and we're asking the question, why? And we start to have these perceptions about God. We have these thoughts about God. And there's nothing wrong with being angry with God. But let me just say this. You have to ask the question, is my understanding of God, is what, I, is what I'm experiencing this morning or today or whatever it is in your life about God true about what the God that Jesus reveals? And so this morning, I want to give you a little story. I want to share a little story with you this morning about who God is based upon what Jesus reveals to us. And I know some of you are saying like, hey, listen, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a believer of Jesus. Hey, I get it. I get it totally understand. I've been there before. But maybe this morning, maybe this morning you can understand, you'll, you'll begin to see something different. You'll begin to see something different about who 
God is by this man named John. Now, many of you, we looked at this guy named John last week who wrote this wonderful story about the life of Jesus. And some of you are saying, who is John? Well, John was this guy who was, he had an eyewitness uh, account. He had eyewitness uh, moments with Jesus. In fact, he gives us deeper stories and tells us more than any other writer about the life of Jesus. In fact, the story we're going to share with you today is not a story that really shared in any other gospel accounts. When I say gospel, we have other writers who wrote about the life of Jesus. And John is the only one that writes this story this morning, but he begins to tell us something. What I love about John is he hints at something in a phrase that he writes this morning. We'll get to that in a minute. But in John's account of Jesus' life, the way that he begins the entire story is these three words, in the beginning. That's how he begins his whole account of Jesus' life. And you're saying, why would he start there? Because John wants to take us back to the words that are in the beginning, that we find at the beginning of Jesus or God when he shows up in the world and he starts creating in the world, right? And when we look at the creation story of God, we begin to see there's this word that shows up over and over and over and over again. And we find that as God creates, as there's this work that's taking place, we find, we find in this moment that when God finishes, he says, it is, what's the word? Good. It is good. And so John spends his entire life pointing to the life of Jesus, saying this, that Jesus' life reveals to us about God that he is good. In fact, this is the whole point that I want you to know today. Wow. Pretty groundbreaking, right? No, not so much. God is good. God is good. Turn to your partner and say that. God is good this morning, right? God is good. Now, I want you to turn to your partner and say, do you believe that to be true? And be honest about that question. God is good. So it's interesting, John tells us this account. Listen to what he says this morning. He takes us to John chapter 9, and John tells us, he says, As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. A blind man from birth, his disciples had asked him, Rabbi, I love this question. Who sinned? Another word, hey, uh, uh, Jesus, what is the X factor in this moment? Who's responsible for this prob problem? His parents or him? Who's the X factor? Because there's a Y here. The Y is this man is blind. He's done something wrong or his parents did something wrong. And so we want to know. That's how he starts the story. I love this. And so Jesus, it's interesting to me because the followers of Jesus' day had an understanding of the world around them. And exactly what I just told you, that we believe the world is X equals Y. See, they were taught in the temples, they were taught by rabbis that one, in order for somebody to be blind or to be paralyzed or to have something wrong with them, maybe they had a deformity, that their parents had to have done something wrong before they were born. Now, this is my favorite. The rabbis also believed that you could sin as a child in the womb. Notice they asked the question, did this man sin? They believe that you could sin as a child in the womb. Now, my mind races. Like, how does that work? Like, does he lust over, like, future dates that he has with girls in high school? Like, even though he's never met them, I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. How do you sin in the womb? Doesn't make sense to me. The third idea that the rabbis taught these people is that there was reincarnation. There was ancient belief about reincarnation that, that in your previous life, if you've done something wrong, you would experience pain and suffering in this life. 
So those are the three narratives that these disciples are living out of. And this is why they ask this question. Who's responsible? Now, we would laugh. We would laugh at this idea and say, that, well, that's primitive thinking. It's so primitive. They're so barbaric in their thinking about God. We're so astute. And yeah, right. Did you know that 40%, 40% of Christians believe that God is angry and wants to punish people and wants to judge people and send them to hell? 40%. In fact, I remember, you maybe remember this if you're old enough, 9-11. 9-11 happened and two famous preachers, TV preachers, beware of TV preachers, got up and he said, God is punishing America and he is punishing New York for their egregious sins. Now think about this. Apparently God got so angry, he got so angry that he decided because of all the gays and all the lesbians and all the transgenders and all the strippers and all the drug addicts and everybody who was gambling and everybody who was doing something wrong in New York, he decided, hey, I got a good idea. I'll take two non-Christian people and fly a plane into a building. That's what God thought he would do. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't make sense to me either. But what's funny is we believe as Christians, 40% of Christians believe that that's how God works. And so the question I want to go back, back to is this. Is your understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus reveals? Is your understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus reveals? Now here's what happens. I love this story. John continues to tell us. The disciples ask this question. And listen to what Jesus said. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin. Wait a minute. The rabbis told us. Do you remember the rap? Wait, huh, what? Excuse me? Who are you to, to, to talk against the rabbi's teaching? He says, neither this man nor his parents sin. But this happened, and I love this phrase, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We'll stop at verse 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with some saliva, put it on the man's eyes, and he said, go to the pool of Siloam. And this man went, he was washed, and he went home seeing. He went home seeing. Now, I want to use this phrase this morning. He says this morning, Jesus says this morning, this man is blind, but the reason he is blind is because the work of God is going to be displayed in him. Now, I want to use this word work. You remember when I told you that John begins his whole story about the life of Jesus saying, in the beginning? Well, once again, this idea pops up in the story. You see, this word work actually is the Hebrew word that we find in the creation story of God. And so John, once again, takes us back to the very beginning and wants to say that work is about the creativity of God in the world. God's active creativity within the world. And the reason that John uses this word is he wants us to go back and remember that everything that God does in this world is good. Have you ever considered that perhaps God could have made a really ugly earth? That God could have really made just a horrible, horrible planet and space and place? But no, John wants to say, no, 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 I need you to go back and I need you to look at the story and you'll find that in this story, God reveals his very nature as good. 
So the work is good. And the reason why that Jesus does the work, why? So that it will be displayed. Why is something displayed? Have you ever been to a job fair? Anybody been to a job fair? I've been to a few job fairs every once in a while. You didn't know half those companies exist until you get to the job fair. You didn't know they exist. You don't know what they do, why they do what they do. But when you get there, right, they have displays that tell you about something you never knew. It makes the invisible visible. And so you begin to learn more about this company. And if they're really good, they'll talk you into becoming one of their workers. They want to employ you. They want to have you. And something is displayed in that moment that reveals something you never knew before. This is exactly what Jesus says this morning. Is I'm doing this work which is good so I can display, so I can display the goodness of God. There is a divine reality that exists, whether we acknowledge it or not, that is good. And so, I don't know, I'm a simple-minded person, but, but it's just a little bit of reasoning here. If the work is good, which displays the goodness, who does it display the goodness of? God, who is good. So we have work which is good, we display which is good, we have God who is good, which leads me to the question, what is all of this pointing at? And Jesus says it. It's in him. It's in the blind man. It's in the brokenness of humanity. It is in the broken parts of lives. It's the people who everybody around them says, you can't, nothing good can come from you. You are worthless. You're pointless. Look at you. Your life is a mess. It's that very person that Jesus says, it's in him that there is good. Because my work is good, because I've displayed that it's good, because God is good. What Jesus reveals to us is that we are good as well. And we can only be good because God is good to us. That is who God is. My question this morning to you is, what is your perception of good, though? See, I think many of us think that good means to be perfect. Like, good is perfect. Can I just say that's not a good understanding of good? I don't think that's proper English, but it sounds really good. <laughs> uh, I'm always interested because a good understanding of good is that good uses things that are messy and ugly and sweaty to become beautiful, exciting, lovely, he, good uses things that are mysterious and obvious. Good uses our brokenness for, for, for purpose. Like, this is what understanding is all about. In fact, one thing I love is when people decide that they're going to follow God, there is this process that is good. You see, we begin to follow Christ, and we want to do all these amazing things, and we're excited that we've just made this decision, but then reality sets in, and we have our first relapse, or we feel like we just can't get this church thing down, or we're not praying right, or we're not reading our Bible enough, or I made more mistakes when I got home than I anticipated this week. And we just decide that we'll retreat into silence where nobody can find us. It's a brand new follower of Christ. But then they'll have this moment where they come out of this funk and they're excited again. Maybe they read their Bible and they found something out about God that they didn't know before. And so they're just pumped and they're amped. Or they came to church and they had this awesome experience and they're talking about God's presence. And then five days later they're back to, man, I relapsed again. I'm struggling again. I'm depressed again. And it is like this cycle. 
And, and it, I resonate with this. I mean, I really have only been a follower of Christ for about seven years. That may scare some of y'all, but it's true. I've really only been a follower of Christ for seven years. And my life, I look at many ways, is, is good. I struggle. I struggle daily. I don't know how many times this week Janelle had said to me, you need to be patient. You need to be patient. And I finally said yesterday, would you stop saying that to me? I'm tired of you saying I need to be patient. In fact, when you tell me I need to be patient, I'm getting angry. I'm getting impatient. But you know what? I'm not perfect. Just like you, we've got kids, we've got family, we've got people in our lives that make messes and it's a struggle. And I struggle. And that's what this whole thing is about. And I think that many of us struggle. And I think we ultimately feel like we're not worthy enough. We just feel like we're not good enough. Can I just say that your struggle is good? See, life is not about pulling you into the past. It's about pulling into a better future. And that's what God wants for you. And the question that I've been working through, the question I've been wrestling with is this. Why is it that when we become followers of Christ, it becomes an adventure about our faith in Jesus? Why does it have to be about our faith in Jesus? What if the whole adventure and God's redemptive project is about Jesus' faith in you? See, we think it's all about the faith that we have to have in Jesus to change our lives. But what if, it, what if it's about the fact that God believes in you this morning? And the reason that he believes in you is because he believes that you are good because he created you good. And see, you need a new narrative in your mind. Because you are living out of the mindset, we live out of the mindset that if I do X, I will get Y. And often we are just left with the question of why. So here's what I want you to know today. God is good. In fact, uh, it's a little bit churchy. I don't like churchy stuff. In the church, we used to say, God is good, and you would say, all the time. All the time, that's right. And then I would say, all the time, and you'd say, God is good. And you know, we used to let that roll off our tongues, like, whoo, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good, until I get home, <laughs> until I get to work, until that thing that I'm trying to defeat is staring me right in the face. Oh, it, it comes off of our tongue like second nature. But believing God is good is difficult. And I think that believing we are good is difficult. Let me just say this. God is good. You are good. Which means as followers of Christ, which means as people, in fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to do this. You must seek good. In fact, a great philosopher says, the good, only the good know, seek out the good things peculiar to the good. It's a lot of good stuff. The good perpetuates more good. Listen, are you going to have times in your life where it rains on you? Absolutely. Are you going to go through hell? Absolutely. 
right? But when we seek out God, when we seek out, listen, I'm not talking about asking God for money, asking God for a new big house, asking him for a new car. I'm talking about when we seek out the God who is good, when we have faith, when we serve, when we trust, when we love, we will experience life that is good. Because you have a peace, a peace that maybe you're not experiencing right now. Maybe you don't have peace. Maybe you don't have joy because you don't believe that God is good and you don't believe that you are good. So here comes the soul training exercises this week. Again, you don't have to be a follower to do this stuff. But we believe in practices. We believe in doing things that will change your life. And so I got this response last week. Last week I challenged you when you're defining what you're seeking to, to, to practice the discipline of sleep. And the response I got from a lot of people was, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to do that. Or what is the point of sleeping? Why would you tell us at the end of your message to have the discipline of sleep? Can I just say this? Sometimes we think our path to spirituality is these big spiritual moments where we pray for three hours and we read our Bible all day and, and now we'll experience God. But we fail to acknowledge that it's the simple things that lead us to a spiritual journey with God. The simple things. Yeah, we don't want the simple, Pastor. Don't, don't give me that discipline. That doesn't make sense. Give me something that's practical. Let me just tell you. We are giving these this morning as practical ways for you to experience God in your life. Christian, not Christian, Muslim, atheist, whatever you are. Let me just say this. These will make you healthier people. So this is what I need you to do this week. I need you to be present in the present moment. I need you to be present in the present moment this week. And you're saying, how do I do that? You know, often we talk about silence as a bad thing. That when we are silent, we hold things in that we shouldn't hold in and we're afraid to speak them out. Let me just say this this week. That sometimes we aren't present because we aren't silent. You know, my father-in-law always says to me, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. Some of you get that. There's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. And sometimes, sometimes we aren't present because we aren't silent. So this week what I want you to do, simple practice, simple start to the day. I need you to get up in the morning or find a time during the day or maybe it's right before a meeting. But I need you to find a time, grab a cup of coffee, tea, whatever you drink. Uh, whatever, whatever it may be, have your, have your pick. Sit down, and I just want you to sit for five minutes of silence this week, every day. Five minutes in silence every day. Five minutes is not very long. In fact, I think, I think when you do it, you'll, you'll love it so much that you'll want 10 and 15 and 20 and 30, and before you know it, it's like, I just love this. This is so good. Let's start with five. And what I need you to do is I need you to have a notebook next to you or have something next to you that you can write on. Because here's what happens when you sit in silence. You start thinking about uh, your grocery list. I like to eat, so that's always on my mind. Uh, what am I missing in my cupboard? You start thinking about what you're going to eat. You start thinking about people that you need to have conversations with. And maybe you start rehearsing those conversations in your silence. There are things that are just going to pop into your mind. I just need you to start writing those down. Because when we write those down, we acknowledge that they're there, but then we just let them go. And then we get back to being silent in the moment. So I need you to be silent this week. I need you to be present in the present moment, and it starts with silence. The second thing that I want you to do 
is discover and acknowledge beauty like you've never acknowledged it before. Like I said earlier, God could have made a really ugly, ugly, ugly earth. Illinois at times may be a great representation of what life could have been like. Especially in the winter. It's barren. Anyway. I want you, I want you to pretend like you're the blind man in the story. And all of a sudden your eyes are open this week. You've never been out in creation. You've never been out in this world that exists. I want you to take a walk. I want you to take a bike ride. I want you to take a run, whatever it may be. Take that same journal that you've been working on in your silent time. And I want you to begin to write about what you see with new eyes. You know, what's interesting is that dandelion that really just makes a yard look terrible actually is pretty cool. I mean, the way that the, the leaves are sharp and even though they're painful when you touch them, like it really is a cool design. And they go from this beautiful yellow flower to these white things that my boys love to blow away. And they're fun. They just kind of float away. Now they're disastrous for your yard, but they look cool when they fly away. But whoever thought a dandelion could be beautiful? I want you to take a walk this week and start to look at every little detail like God was an artist or a student or whatever and he just started painting this beautiful picture and I want you to write down what you see and I promise you this you will begin to see things about our world that you've never seen before in fact I promise you this that when you begin to sit in silence and you begin to write down and acknowledge the beauty around you you will find that life is good and that God is the good and beautiful God let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we give thanks for this time. We give thanks for revealing yourself to us that we may perceive you as angry and upset and that you hate us and you don't like us and, and, and our lives are broken and a mess and you don't want anything to do with us, but I'm so glad that you show up in this world. You show up in this moment and you say, you know what, never mind what people say about you. You are loved and you are good. Because I am good. So this morning I pray for, for anyone who is struggling with this idea that not only is, is God good, but that they're good as well. I pray that you would begin to speak to them this week as they work through these new practices of silence and acknowledging beauty. I pray that you may meet them in this moment. Even if they've never really talked with you or met with you, that perhaps through these few things, through these through act, two actions you would begin to speak to their hearts and their lives. Lord, thank you for using the messes that we make and making them beautiful this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things we do here is every week we believe a response to the message that you've heard is found at this table this morning. We believe that Christ not only died for the messes that we make, for our failure to live out what we are designed to do, 